Uh, we're going to be flipping around a lot this morning, but if you want to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 6, we're going to start there. So you can start turning toward Luke chapter 6. Um, and last week we started uh, talking about this idea of hope, and this idea of hope beyond this life that we have been given. That, that we don't have this kind of temporary mindset about we got to make the most of what we've got right now because, you know, after this is over, then that's it for us. No, but God has imprinted eternity. He's put eternity within the hearts of his creations. We're longing for something more, and there's promises that God has given us of something more that we can hope for. We don't have to become overwhelmed, bogged down, lost in the 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 pain, the struggle, the difficulty, the things that are going on around us in this world, in this life, these things that, that would tend to, to pull us down, keep us from being, you know, moving forward, being productive, whatever it may be. We don't have those, those same discomforts and fears because we can look beyond this life and know that God has created a way because, because we were made to exist and be with him forever. And we can have, we can have hope in that. We can have hope that there is more to this life. But, but this week, I want us to, to go beyond just looking ahead and saying, I can be hopeful that there's something better than what I see going on around me right now. But, but what can I do with this hope that is within me? And this week, I want us to talk about what it looks like to have not just hope-filled lives, but, but hope-filled speech. What does it look like? And, and again, I know if you saw the if you saw the titles, I'm doubling down on the no hyphens because hope-filled lives should have a hyphen and hope-filled speech should also have a hyphen. And I don't care, still don't care, uh, still don't still don't like grammar in the English language. That sort of thing still bothers me. So here's the thing: we when I closed last week, I talked about this idea of when we're filled up with something, it's going to naturally come out of us. So if we're filled with with the hope of Christ, then, then it's naturally going to kind of flow out of us. And it's important that we focus on that because we want to feed ourselves the things that we want to be, be kind of coming out of ourselves. Um, for the last, I don't know, the last half of the week or so, um, I've been helping Ellie get ready for, she's going to do a theater camp next week and they do tryouts. And for the tryouts, they have to like sing one of the songs to kind of see which part they're getting. They're doing Moana. So you should hear me singing um, How Far I'll Go to help her work on that. But, but here's the thing we've been working on the most, honestly. A, the lyrics are really fast in a couple of spots. But, but when you're trying to sing a song, especially when it's got these weird high notes and these weird low notes and it jumps around a lot, the most important thing that you can focus on, what we've been focusing on, is your breathing, right? If anybody's ever sung, the hardest thing to kind of train yourself to do correctly is to breathe. If you just take these little breaths, you're going to break your voice and it's not going to be good. It's going to hurt. You're not going to be able to hit all the notes you want. If you want to hit the high notes or the low notes, but for me, the high notes, let's be honest. If you're going to hit the high notes, you have to take deep breaths and you have to really focus on making sure you get enough air into your lungs or what comes out isn't going to be what you want to come out. It's going to sound like crackly, warbly, little annoying sounds that people get really frustrated when you keep singing them. I, I, think, of, I think of Scuttle at the beginning of, uh, no, in, in Little Mermaid, yeah, Scuttle, he's like, I'll sing some romantic music, right? Scuttle didn't know how to breathe correctly, probably, allegedly. But here's the thing, what we put into ourselves, if we're gonna, if we want to have good things coming out, we have to focus on what's going in. 
right? And there's, and there's Bible to support this. If you're in Luke chapter 6, I'm going to read verse 45. It's near the end of the chapter. So if you go ahead and flip over to that. Luke chapter 6, verse 45 says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And this is the big idea for this week, that what is in our hearts is what's going to come out of our mouths, and what comes out of our mouths is important. What we say, the way that we say it, and who we say it to, and for what purposes that we say it, these things matter. Because here's the first thing, and I want us, and, and I want us to focus on the idea of speaking and thinking about the way that we speak. Because, because here's the first idea, is that God cares very much about how we speak. Uh, if you want to go ahead and flip over to the book of James, we, we just finished studying the book of James. But in James chapter 1, uh, verse 19, James says to the church, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. In the next verse, it's not on the screen, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If we're going to be Christ-like, God cares about the way that we talk. So much of what I see in our society right now is people not speaking to one another well. Now, I would say a lot of the speaking not to each other not well comes from a place of brokenness and sin that's not been redeemed and restored, empowered by the Holy Spirit. There's a whole lot of unsaved speech out there right now that's not informed by the power of God. And I think that's, that's a huge problem. But, but even within the church, I think there are times that we don't speak well. We don't speak out of the righteousness of God. We speak out of the sinfulness of our hearts. And, and I think sometimes it's because we forget that God really cares about the words that we use. I have to get reminded of this all the time because I'll just start talking and I won't think about what I'm saying, and I've had to grow a lot in that area. Maybe that's you too. Maybe sometimes you're one who would just kind of, here's the thought, it is what it is, I've said it, deal with it. And that tends to be me in the past. Not so much that I would say, wow, how can I say this in a way that it will be heard effectively and will lead to for further discussion that leads to helpful growth on our parts? That's a hard thing to learn, and, and, and he said in James, let us be slow to speak. This goes, this goes counter to everything that we're taught right now, where it's quickly get your thoughts out in 140 characters. Quickly, quickly respond to something. Hey, this thing has happened. You need to speak to this right now. And I may not be in a place where if I spoke right now, I'm going to say something that demonstrates the righteousness of God. There are many things that if I spoke to them right now, I would probably not demonstrate the righteousness of God. So what does James say? Let us be slow to speak. Because he also says, let us be slow to anger. Because sometimes if we just speak quickly, we'll speak out of our emotion. And our emotions are also being redeemed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? So, so the first thing that I want us to focus on, and the reason I'm starting here, is because everything that I'm going to say about the things that we say go on, from, from here forward is reflective of God's heart, God's desire that we be aware of the things that we say and that those things that we say have an effect on the people that we say them to. 
Because here's the thing, words can make a major impact. If you're still in the book of James, I'm going to read uh, from chapter 3, this is verse 10. It says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. These things ought to not be so. Here's the thing. What we say is going to either build people up or it's going to tear people down. And there's a whole lot of tearing down right now. And in fact, I mean, we're coming into another, another election cycle where half, no, not half, 90% of the conversation is more about hurting the chances of your opponent than it is about building up the, the positivity and the good things that you have done. Traditionally, politics have worked that way. Let's just make sure you can't vote for that person because then you'll default back to me, right? And, and, and that's the way that our words tend to get used. They can be used for both building up or tearing down. And James says, this isn't the way that it should be. This isn't what, this isn't what the people of God are meant to speak like. This isn't how we're meant to treat one another. They have a major impact. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I have a few different points about different things that our words can do to have a major impact. And I want us to look at the way that our words can have a major impact in a couple of different areas so that we can, we can maybe start to look at our own lives and say, do my words impact in this building up sort of way? Or am I not or am I more one of those that's kind of tearing things down or, 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 or hurting and I want us to take a really introspective look at ourselves and ask, am I using my words in a way that is glorifying to God to make a major impact for the kingdom of God, for the sake of the gospel? All right, so first way that our words can have a major impact, speaking hope for others. I'm going to turn to Proverbs chapter 31. Like I said, we're going to be jumping around a lot this morning. Um, the, the, the verses will be up on the screen. You may just need to write them down or go back and watch the, the stream again at the end. Uh, Proverbs chapter 31. I'm going to read verse 8. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. And then again, Colossians 4, 5 and 6 says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. In both of these, it's talking about speak for those who are outside of your like initial social circle, right? Speak for those who are who are in trouble. Speak out for those who are who are, what does it say? Destitute. Speak out for those who have who have disabilities or other sorts of struggles. Speak out for those that, that aren't from your country. Make sure that when you're speaking to them, you're speaking to them in a way that's encouraging, that, that's helpful for them. He says, seasoned with salt. I love that that's a good thing, because I love salt. Like, like love salt. Salt, Granny Smith apple, mm, nothing better than that. Salt, caramel, great. Pick anything. Salt's good on it. I don't care. Nick wants me to move on. This sermon just became a salt sermon. But, but look at what he's saying. Speak on behalf of others. Speak hope for others. I think this is really where the church finds itself right now at this moment in history. Being called upon to speak on behalf of those 
who have felt disenfranchised or lost or forgotten or looked down upon, and to speak hope for others. But like we've said, like I said a few, uh, probably a month ago now in our Acts series, our message of hope is given to us by the Word of God. The words that we use, the speech that we use, we've been given a script. Our script is not a set of, of, of declarations about a specific set of symptoms that we may be seeing. Now, our script is that, that Jesus Christ and the hope of the gospel is the answer for any brokenness or sin that is present at any point in the history of all society. That's our answer. But, but we use these words not just selfishly, not to just say, this is how I can build myself up, or this is how I can build my, my close little knit, tight-knit social circle up. This is hope for everyone. This is hope for those who are forgotten. This is hope for those who do feel looked down upon, or downtrodden, or are hurt, or are sick, or are facing whatever kinds of unimaginable pain that we maybe can't, haven't experienced, but at the same time, we as the church are meant to speak hope to them. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak out on behalf of those who maybe cannot speak. But, and this is what is so important to me, this is why I want us to focus on the way we speak, because we, like I said, we speak with specific words. We have a specific answer. We have a specific script to go by. These words are better than any words that we can come up with. These words give life. These words are truth. These words are hope. So if we're going to speak hope, let's not speak hope in some sort of temporary, we're going to meet this one need, but instead, right? Let's speak hope in, I can fix all of the problems, not because I can do something, but because I've met someone who has done all it takes. That's the hope that we have to speak to. And that's the message that we can bring when we speak on behalf of others. Because, because once we begin to speak with hope, once we begin to realize that, that this hope that, was, that is within us can come out, that's going to lead to speaking on behalf of others, but also, and this is kind of my second point, that that hope is going to lead to rejoicing, not just for us, but for those who begin to experience the power of God and the salvation that gets brought to us by the Holy Spirit. Hope leads to rejoicing. Romans chapter 5 all over the place. I love it. Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. Everybody's like, it's on the screen. I'm not going to bother flipping. I'll watch him flip. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also aimed obtained access to faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We sing a song that has those words a lot. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Right? I love this idea that we rejoice because we now have an answer. We now have hope. We, and once we realize that, it leads to something else. It leads to making much of God, making much of Jesus because they are the ones who deserve it. Because, because we now realize they are our hope and that we have received that hope and we get to we, that eternal mindset that was implanted in us that we talked about last week that's going to be realized. And that leads to rejoicing. There is no reason 
that the people of God should be overtaken by sadness. There is time for sadness. There's time for mourning. There's time for lamentation. But we should not be known for our sadness. We shouldn't be known for our rejoicing in the hope that we have experienced. Psalm 105, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Psalm 34, 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continuously be in my mouth. Psalm 42, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? That may be a question you ask yourself sometimes. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. That right there, that should be us. That should be the church. A church that, that yes, sometimes we feel down, but we ask ourselves, why am I feeling down? I have Jesus. There's nothing to, that, that, that the world can put on me or take away from me that can't be overcome by the power of God, the, the working of the gospel within me the truth of what Jesus has done, my salvation, my God. I shall again praise him because I understand this hope. That is who we are. Our hope leads to rejoicing. These sorts of words ought to be on our lips all the time, not just when we sing them, when we put them on a screen or when we hear a song that we're familiar with or we like the, we like the melody and we sing them. We, we should feel this way all the time. We, sh- we, should, we should be experiencing the power of the gospel being alive in us all the time. That's not easy. I mean, that's not a natural thing for us. That's something that God does within us. That's something that he changes within us. And as we grow to be more and more like him, we get better and better at doing that naturally. But it takes a lot of habit changing. But I think that that's something that we should, we should, as we look at our own lives, we should ask, how has that changed within me over time? Has there been a point in my life where maybe I would get bogged down in, in my own uh, sadness or become overwhelmed by the situation that I see myself in? And then, and then what got me out of that? Where did I go? How, did I end up in a place where I could praise and rejoice? And then ask ourselves, now look at myself today. When I feel that way, do I get out of that quicker? Do I, do I find that place more efficiently? I've said this before, but, but as we, the, to me, a good metaphor for, for maturing is the same thing as, as like when you go for a run and you're building endurance, and then at the end your heart rate's like flying, and it takes you like a half an hour for your heart rate to come back down because you're so out of shape. But then the longer and longer you train for that sort of thing, once you finish your run, your heart rate decelerates a whole lot faster because your body's able to recover more efficiently. To me, that's kind of the same idea for as we mature, I feel like our awareness of the truth of the gospel kicks in quicker and quicker and quicker after we experience times that maybe would take our eyes off of Jesus or we fall into some sort of sin, or we become overwhelmed by the situation that's around us. The more and more we become like Jesus, the quicker and quicker we realize, wait a second, I have salvation. I have hope. There's something better than this for me. And we're able to kind of refocus, get our eyes wrapped around this new perspective, and kind of get back to where we should be more efficiently. 
And so as you're thinking about yourself, as you're thinking about the way that you speak, how quickly are you able to get to the point where you're ready to say, no, I have hope in Jesus, and that's able to come out. Or, you're, or when you speak, you're not speaking out of, of sin, or you're not speaking out of pure emotion or anger whenever you see some sort of some sort of tragedy that's happening in the world, but you're able to speak the truth of the gospel with hope in a way that is going to build others up, not just tear people down. How quickly are you able to get to that point? Because I think that the, best we, the better we can analyze our ability to get there is going to demonstrate, again, how spiritually healthy we are. And, this, and that just, this idea of hope leading to rejoicing, realizing what it is that God has done and how worthy he is of praise is going to naturally lead to more confident evangelism. Our hope should lead us to evangelism because we now have something that's good. We now have something that others need. We now have something that we know others should want because it's a good thing. It's a powerful thing, and it's a thing we like. Hope should lead us to more confident evangelism. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. I love that idea. Because we know that we've got something and it's real, I can say something about it. And I can say something confidently because I don't think it's going to come back to bite me later. Right? Like, have you ever, have you ever like really liked a TV show or a movie or something like that, and you're like, guys, you've got to go see this. This thing is amazing. And then everybody goes and sees it, or a couple people go and see it, and they say, I can't stand that movie. That was awful. For me, that happens the most with National Treasure, because National Treasure is a national treasure. It is so far and away one of, one of my favorite adventure movies and Nicolas Cage is, is so good, especially in that movie. Uh, there was one, I'm going to tell the story. We went to D.C. This was, when did we go to D.C. with the college class? It was 15 years ago, something like? No, it was 10 years ago. It was like about 10 years ago. Uh, we went to D.C., and I had to, when we went through the National Archives and we saw the Declaration of Independence, I had the whole monologue that he said in that scene memorized so that I could say it and I could turn and dramatically walk away from the Declaration of Independence and say, I'm the only way to save the Declaration of Independence is to steal the Declaration of Independence. And then I had Tiff say, what? That's right. I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> and I'm sure, A, I'm sure Facebook's going to cat pick that up and I'm going to have FBI at my house. Should have thought that through. I'm not going to steal the Declaration of Independence, but I was very excited to watch Nick. But that's not the point. It's a good movie. And I would tell people, this is a good movie. And then people go watch and they'd be like, that is not a good movie. Or that is not, that is not a good actor in that movie. And I'll be like, no, that is a great actor. But, but I, can't, I can't confidently go out preaching the gospel of national treasure because it is not necessarily going to hold up 100% of the time. But that is not true with the gospel of Jesus Christ. With the gospel of Jesus Christ, I can have 100%... So I'm not going to sh be shy about... Because I'm not going to be shy like, well, I really like National Treasure. No, I'm going to be like, I love the gospel of Jesus Christ because I know that those who have experienced it, Christianity, 
I've said this before, Christianity, when practiced properly, is 100% effective. 100% of the time, it works. When you follow Jesus and you obey the things that he has put in this book for us to follow, when you, when you surrender yourself completely to him, it is 100% effective on improving your life. 100% guarantee. And that kind of hope that we have in Jesus, that 100% guarantee that we have re realized in knowing Jesus is the reason we can be so confident in speaking this truth about him. We have such a hope, so we are very bold. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11 and 12 says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. Right? We can, confidently, we can confidently go forward with the gospel because we can look back on how faithful God has been. Right? We can look back on how, how, how consistent God has been at following through. And we can imitate those who have confidently preached the gospel before us because we can trust that what he says is true. We can go forward, we can speak the truth of the gospel, we can speak the hope that comes with knowing Jesus with great confidence because he has never failed. How many other things that we tend to put our hope in have failed? 1 Peter 3.15 But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And there's that idea again. Being able to say the words that are true, but say them in the right way. Say them in the way that will be effective, that will be heard, that will be life-changing for others. We can confidently speak the truth of salvation because of the hope that's in us and because of the consistency of the effectiveness of the gospel. Because here's the thing, and this is my last point, because salvation in itself was a declaration of hope. When we are saved, we are, we are saying, there is no hope for me apart from Jesus Christ. There is nothing I could do to save myself apart from Jesus' perfect sacrifice on my behalf and hope, and I place my hope in him, hoping in what Jesus has done. That is salvation. If you claim Christ, if you, if you claim belief in him, you have declared your hope in him. So we've already practiced this idea of speaking out of our mouths that we hope in Jesus. Romans 10.10, 10, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with, one, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If you are saved, if you have realized this hope, it's come out of your mouth and will continue to come out. This, this declaration of hope in Jesus. And so there's a couple things that I want us to kind of think about um, today. What are we supposed to do with this? Because this, this whole thing kind of sounds like it's a big setup for a practical application. That's because it is. One, 
If you don't know Jesus, I want you to declare that hope in him. I want you to know that hope because you may have been searching for hope elsewhere. Hope in anything else is going to fail you. Hope in Jesus is 100% effective. Two, if you, if you trust Jesus, if you know that hope, if that hope of Christ is within you, if you know that, that ought to come out of you. You ought to speak that way. You should be filled with the Holy Spirit so that it comes out. Not just in your actions. I'm talking specifically. God cares about what we say, and he cares that we say it. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We ought to be a people ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us. And I want, I want us as the church to, to look at ourselves and say, how bold am I when I speak about the hope that I have in Jesus? How, how, how bold am I when I speak about what the gospel has done and how necessary the gospel is for those to which I am speaking? Ask ourselves, how healthy am I spiritually? How, when I get bogged down, how quickly does my, my heart turn from, from sorrow back to rejoicing? How ready am I to, to give glory to God who's, who's the only one worthy of any glory, any praise, any rejoicing? And, and as I do that, how ready am I to then say, and you should come along with me? The church has always been readied by God. It's always been in a place where, where the, it's, it always seems like it's the perfect time for the gospel, because it is. But, but I mean, we, we talked about when we were in Acts, we were talking about how God established like a perfect foundation, a perfect bedrock for a church to kind of begin to grow from in the way that the world was structured at the time. I'd say that's just as true today. The world is ready to hear words of hope. The world is ready to hear answers for the things that we're seeing Reasons why we should, should not, not be afraid. Reasons why we, should, why we should look forward positively, say there's good to come. But we can't just speak to the specific symptoms. It's not that we, I am not, I, I have zero clout when it comes to speaking on behalf of, we should have hope amidst this pandemic because here's the things that I see in the data. I can have opinions. I'm not a scientist. But what I can say, I can speak hope not to that symptom, but to the bigger underlying problem that no matter what, if your hope is in Jesus, a pandemic isn't going to get you. Social unrest isn't the end-all be-all if your hope is in Christ. Because that is a symptom of a broken and sinful world that the answer is only in the truth of the gospel. And my hope is that we as the church would be ready to speak boldly on behalf of Jesus because the world is ready to hear it now.